every seminar, every, I've never seen anything like what just happened this weekend. And that was my first time ever doing it. And I was honest about it. It could have been an epic flop, but the fact that I was like fearless and just truly faithful, like I have more faith now than I've ever had in my entire life because I know that this is all on purpose. And if you're struggling right now or you're stuck, there's a reason for it. It's trying to get you to think differently. It's trying to get you to move or shift or change gears or bring more energy into the system. If something's not working in your life, there's not a Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Dave Scatcher. Dave, thanks for doing this. Yeah, Jess, I'm excited. Let's let's rock this thing. So it's always fun to have a fellow Canuck on the, on the show, except... I think that you might qualify as like extra Canucks since you played for the Canucks. So, <laughs> uh, Do I get bonus points for that? Yeah, I think you get. I think so. you get bonus points. So, living life large in Arizona, but for for people who aren't familiar with your career, can you can you talk a little bit about your hockey career and then and your book and what you're up to these days? Yeah, I'll go really quick because it's it's a long thing and writing my first book, trying to come pile 45 years of experiences into 270 pages is uh, a challenge. So I'll give you the bullet points. I was born in a town called Hinton, Alberta, small coal mining town. My dad was a coal miner. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had a brother and a sister. I grew up skating there because everything was frozen and there wasn't a lot to do. So that was kind of excitement for us, snowing, uh, skiing, and, uh, and skating. And then, you know, we moved down to Salmon Arm, British Columbia in the Okanagan because the, the summers were amazing. We had a little cabin down there and uh, we spent the summers water skiing and barefooting and BMX bike riding. And it was just the best. I moved away from home when I was 16 to chase my dream of playing in the NHL. Obviously, there were learning curves that went with leaving home at such a young age, bullying. It was tough. It was tough because... I wanted to come home, and but I also knew that in order to keep playing against better players, I had to be in bigger centers and playing against older players. So I was 16 playing against like 20-year-olds in that league. There was unlimited number of 20-year-old players. So you can just imagine how that was for a naive little boy <laughs> moving away from home for the first time. Next year, I went down to Portland Winterhawks. Had a really bad case of mononucleosis during my draft year. I wasn't rated by Central Scouting to start the year. Halfway through the year, I was at 168, and then I missed the whole second half of the year. I had a great playoffs. I came back, played with a guy named Adam Denmarsh and Lonnie Bohannis. They were both great players. Finished first in the world in Central Scouting testing that summer, and I ended up getting drafted 42nd overall in the world to the Vancouver Canucks, which is cool because that was my hometown. So all my buddies were going to UBC, and I'm playing in the NHL. So they're coming down, hanging out with Mark Messier and all, Pavel Burry and all my buddies. And they're like <laughs> college kids, you know? So it's just funny story. I, I remember we'd have a day off on Sunday and we'd have a game Saturday. So all my buddies would call me for tickets. I was like one of the lowest paid guys in the NHL and I'm spending thousands of dollars on tickets every game because everybody knew me, but I had a big following, you know? So I'd go to the UBC and we'd spend the night, just I'd crash on their dorm room couches. I'd I'd buy the whole night for all my buddies and it'd be like $100 or like $80 or something. And like, they thought it was the best. I thought it was amazing. 
And that was awesome. I went from Vancouver after three years there to New York. I met my wife in Manhattan a couple years later. She was a model. I was a hockey player. We had this cool chemistry and I just knew she was the one. That's, that was 19 years ago. So we've been married for 16 years. I have a daughter and two boys. So I got three kids. Now, from there, I went to Boston as a free agent. Very short stint in Boston. I got traded right away to Phoenix. I was in Phoenix. I had my fourth concussion after Wayne Gretzky was my coach. After a couple of years, I had to stop playing and I thought I might be done. I went to work for the National Hockey League Players Association and then I decided to make a comeback and I, after not skating for two years, came back and ended up playing with Nashville and St. Louis and up and down on their farm teams. Had a crazy near-death experience with my fifth concussion that ultimately ended my career. That's kind of the sneaky part about the book. Everyone thinks the comeback is a hockey story, which it is, but there's another comeback that happens that's kind of wild and crazy. And that was the scary part about writing the book is to really tell the truth about what happened to me and what I saw and what I experienced and whether or not I wanted to share that with the world. It took me 10 years to write the book because I was afraid of what people would think. In the meantime, I had to rebuild my life and learn how to speak again properly. I had brain damage with the last concussion. I had some bleeding in my brain and microhemorrhaging in my brain. I dragged my foot when I walked. I had no memory. I was taking Alzheimer's medication. I was taking the doctors at the Mayo Clinic prescribed all this stuff, by the way, which is insane for me to think about now because I'm really natural. I don't take medicine. But I was at one point I was on Ambien to sleep at night because all the stuff they had me on. I was on Adderall to help me concentrate. I was on Alzheimer's medication to help me have any kind of memory at all. I was like a dementia person really and then I was in vestibular rehab cognitive therapy three days a week at the Mayo Clinic for three years and they ultimately said hey bud there's nothing we can do for you we've done everything we can you're just going to be permanently disabled and here I am 36 or 37 years old and I'm like what do you mean you're done <laughs> like you guys are the smartest in the world you're supposed to fix me and I remember leaving the the, the hospital that day crying in my car and afraid to talk to my wife about what I just heard because she kept waiting for some sort of a miracle to happen and it never happened and I'm like man I gotta live another 50 60 years like this I'm terrified I don't know how this is gonna end well I couldn't take care of my kids I mean I don't want to get all depressed because it does have a happy ending at the end but at that time, I didn't see any hope or any compelling future. I couldn't work. I couldn't function. I'd just sit in my movie theater in, in my house. It was pure dark and wait for the next day to come, hoping that I'd feel better. And I didn't. It was just brutal. I don't speak like this anymore, but as I'm going back into that space, it's just such a dark space. And I didn't want people to know how bad it was for me. So I just disconnected from like the world, which is also a dangerous thing. And I ended up hiring a life coach because I had five luxury properties in three countries. I had a place in Cabo. I had a like a beautiful home. I had uh, one in Phoenix. I had two in Vancouver and then one in Boston. And they were all multi-million dollar homes. And I couldn't, I couldn't remember anything. So I was doing a renovation on a 10,000 square foot house in Scottsdale after I retired. And I gave the guy that was doing my koi ponds like a check for 80 grand. And he just looks at me like kind of confused. He's like, hey, bud. He's like, you paid me yesterday. I'm like, oh, I did. Oh, okay. Thanks for being honest. Like no clue. 
And I'm like, how many, how many times am I doing this? And who's not going to, who's not going to be honest. So I ended up hiring a life coach and I was like, Hey man, like just your job is to just make sure I don't blow up everything that I worked so hard to build. Cause I had a nice little empire going and I'm like, don't screw this up, Dave. And uh, you know, the, the big NHL checks uh, slowly start to wean themselves down and uh, I had all these properties and they were all rented and I was very lucky. I, I cash flowed really nicely, but I'm like, man, if something weird goes sideways with this, I could be in trouble. So I started consolidating everything. And then he said, what would you like to do with your life if you could do anything? And I said, I, A, I want to help kids and I, B, I want to help people never suffer like the way that I've been suffering these last three years. And he suggested that I go to this leadership academy thing. And on the way there, I prayed for a miracle. Oh my God, if this doesn't work, man, I think, I think I'm out of here. I think I'm checking out. Seriously. Like I just felt like it was a burden to my family and they should be with somebody that can support them or do something. And I just was like a waste of, I felt like I was a waste of space and it's sad for me to even talk like that. And going to this thing, I have a couple of major miracles. I reconnect with God finally and all the blessings and all the healing that I was waiting for the last three years finally just came pouring over me and washing over me. And, and I knew I was going to be, I knew I was going to heal. And then the message that I got that night, brushing my teeth through my own eyes, which is so crazy, is like God was speaking to me. He's like, I'm so sorry that I had to put you through hell like that the last three years, but there's no way you could help the people that you were going to help if you didn't understand where they were going to be coming from in, in hopelessness and no compelling future and desperation and fear and anxiety. Like, I didn't know those things before in my life. I was, I had a really very quick road to the NHL. And yes, I had a lot of obstacles to overcome, but I never understood like that type of that type of fear or pain or hopelessness. So I got a firsthand dose of it <laughs> for three years and know it intimately. And now when I, in my coaching business, I'm a life and business coach. Now, when people come to me and they're, and they're struggling or they're transitioning from one career to another, or they're going through a divorce or loss or any of these things, I know how to speak their language and I know exactly where they're at and I can be like, Hey, I get it. I've been there, but it doesn't have to stay like that. And there's another way and you can get out of this hole. You can get out of this pit and we can spin it up. And I'm, I'm really proud of myself. I don't mean to keep rambling like this, but it's kind of like, I'll give you the whole story in a nutshell. You guys don't even need to buy the book. Now you, you know, everything. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's an unbelievable book. Amazon bestseller. Just saying, but no, just, all seriousness, you know, the worst thing ever that happened to me is really my greatest, greatest blessing. And I'm so grateful for the injury and for it transitioning me into this phase of my life and for the 20,000 people that we helped last year. You know, I have a goal of, of having 100,000 people through my programs this year. And that's that's a re, that's a real thing. And to be able to have that kind of impact and that kind of scale this quickly just in just a few years, um, it's been guided and I just know it's my destiny and this is what I do now. This is my second go around, my second shot at life. And, you know, I, I chose to come back. That's the crazy thing uh, from heaven is like, I asked if I could go back and 
that's that's the wild thing. And for three years, I regretted my decision every single day. I'm like, why did I why did I come back to this pain? But now I get it. It's all perfectly clear to me. So, anyways, how's that to start off your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that's intense, man. That's an amazing story. Yeah. I, I have a bunch of hockey questions and time of the NHL, but I think maybe one of my first questions kind of just keeping from where you've been going there is when you think about when you think about the kind of messages that are helpful for people who feel like, man, my circumstances have more control over my happiness than I do, or someone else has more control over my happiness than I do. I'm interested in, in what things you might share with someone or, or, you know, just tips that you've found to help people break that. Because I think most of us at certain times of life have felt trapped. Yeah. And if you're feeling trapped, it's probably on purpose. There's probably organizing intelligence or God or the universe or whatever you believe is probably trying to move you. That's why you're so uncomfortable right now. Like something needs to shift here. Like I have to change this about myself or my life or how I look at things. If I would have just accepted those that, that diagnosis of permanent disability, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'd still be permanently disabled. I'd be collecting unemployment. I'd, I'd, I'd feel sorry for myself. And I'm like, wow, I, I was this amazing athlete and good investor and had a photographic memory. And now I don't have any of it. So sorry, like, woe is me. Like, and I hear that sometimes. That that worst thing could be your greatest training opportunity of your lifetime, or it could be this like compass that's pointing you in another direction going, hey, like, yes, that hockey thing that was to give you a name and to give you a stage, Dave, but your real purpose is over here. And the only way we're going to get you to stop playing is like by permanently disabling you where you can't play, where the doctors just say you'll die if you go out there and get hit again. That was the only thing that was going to stop me from playing. So I needed a big shot. There was warning signs trying to help me leave the game when I blew up my left knee and I blew up my right knee, but I just kept grinding away because that's what I'd done my whole life since I was a little boy. But when I look at this whole way that this whole beautiful synchronization had to happen, it had to happen this way to lead me to where I'm at now. I just wrapped up a live event uh, this weekend. I was so proud of myself because I was scared. I invested a ton of money, six figures. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to recoup this because of COVID. We had hundreds of cancellations to the event. It ended up being a grand slam. And here's my point. I was able to speak for three days, roughly, I had other speakers and stuff, but roughly 12 hours of content virtually with no notes and speaking truly from my soul and from my experiences that was extremely authentic and aligned and perfect for what the group needed at the time. And, and I had people coming to me, they're like, dude, I've been to every event, every seminar, every, I've never seen anything like what just happened this weekend. And that was my first time ever doing it. And I was honest about it. It could have been an epic flop, but the fact that I was like fearless and just truly faithful, like, I have more faith now than I've ever had in my entire life because I know that this is all on purpose. And if you're struggling right now or you're stuck, there's a reason for it. It's trying to get you to think differently. It's trying to get you to move or shift or change gears or bring more energy into the system. If something's not working in your life, there's not enough energy going towards it. I'm a big energy guy. I believe in energy. I can feel energy. I'm super empathic and sensitive. And it's like, if your marriage isn't working, it needs more energy. If your health is in bad shape, you need to focus more on your health. It needs more energy. 
If your finances are struggling, you need more energy directed at figuring those things out. It's quite simple, but we try to overcomplicate everything. So, you know, that's just my personal opinion, but I, I look at the struggle going, okay, why is this happening? And what am I supposed to learn right now? Like there's something in here for me. I just got to figure it out. And you might not see it right away. It might take you a year or two and you're like, oh, now I get why that had to happen. Cause I wouldn't have met her if I didn't get traded from Vancouver. If I didn't get traded from Vancouver, I never would have met my wife in New York. That was all perfectly designed. You know what I mean? Like all these things, it's like, they're all teaching moments and lessons to expand you into a bigger, more capable version of yourself. Yeah. Not always so fun to go through at the time though, right? <laughs> never, never. But when you can call it out by name and not have it own you. And listen, this is another thing. I'll see like same similar patterns repeating in people in their life. And they, they're not learning the lesson. They're like bypassing the lesson. So the lesson will keep being dropped on them over and over and over again until you get, get the message. Hey, like <laughs> this can't keep happening and you don't learn from it. Otherwise it'll just keep happening. It's just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess my next question is, you know, you think about the odds. I mean, you and I grew up in Western Canada and, you know, I was living in Edmonton during the Gretzky years and like, I didn't even play hockey, but like when we played soccer at recess, it was like, Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm Gretzky. I'm, I'm yeah, you know, yeah. like, we all like said which hockey player we were as we played <laughs> soccer, played soccer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that's a big deal. And you know, there's so many things I'm sure that had to be overcome to get into the NHL. And I actually love to talk about them, but I think my first question is what lessons from making it into the league have you brought to the challenges of entrepreneurship? Cause entrepreneurship is a high contact sport, you know? I love that. And you're totally right. And there was a piece of me that wanted to remove all the armor because that was one of my secrets is I realized that I wasn't healing because I was still carrying out all this heavy armor that I stacked up over my little soul so that I could go fight these monsters and play this aggressive game and not never be sore, never be tired, never make excuses. Like you're turning into like a gladiator. It's just like you just don't feel. And in order for me to heal, I had to start to feel. In order for me to start to feel, I had to remove all the armor that I packed around my heart and my soul. Like the first time somebody breaks your heart, you're like, whoa, that hurt. I'm I'm going to like kind of protect from now on for my next relationship and the relationship after that. And eventually you come up with all these layers of armor. Well, I did the same thing with my heart and my soul for hockey, for relationship, for everything. And I was a killer, man. I could run through that wall and not feel a thing. I could break bones and keep playing, but I also couldn't feel a thing. It was like a robot. And originally when I healed, I took all the armor off. And then I went out and I was like a monk. I was just blissed out. I was meditating three hours a day. I went to India. I did the whole thing. And I learned all these cool things. But then Tony Robbins called me out and he's like, dude, you're like a monk in your cave. He's like, you're not helping anybody. Like, who are you helping? I'm like, well, I'm helping myself, Tony. I'm trying to like heal. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he called me out and I had to go grab some of those best pieces of armor. So to answer your question rather longly, I apologize, is discipline, like focus, all in mentality, never say die, never quit, never believe the people that are telling you, you won't make it. They don't know you. They don't get you. They don't see your vision. It's your vision. It's not their vision. They won't understand you having these big dreams. 
Most people who aren't entrepreneurs will judge. They have no idea what entrepreneurship is. They, they, their brains can't even wrap their head around it. They, can't, they don't know what plans you have in store. They don't know how hard you're willing to work. So, so this is how I look at it. I've got a magic carpet ride. I'm about to go do some epic stuff. If you want to jump on board with me, jump on board. We'll go for a cruise. If you're not supportive of me and what I'm doing, I don't hate you. I'll wave to you as I fly by, but you're not coming with me on where I'm going. I only got room for positive people. And, you know, there's there's a thousand lessons to learn from, from taking it. And you don't have to be a professional athlete. It could be any sport. It could be intramural basketball. But, like, sport and business there's no separation in my opinion. It's like the same amount of commitment or work ethic or focus or determination. It's just a different field. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the league. So when you think about the statistical improbability of a Canadian making it to the NHL, right? From Hint, from Hinton, Alberta, a town of 5,000 people in a stinky yeah. pulp mill town. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about what you did differently that not everybody else did. What, what are some things that you think helped you make it? I don't know if you had a chance to read the book or the whole book or parts of the book, but there's a thousand things in there that you'd like be like, what's this kid doing? One of the things was I asked for ankle weights when I was like eight or nine years old because I knew I had chicken legs and I knew that if I wanted to play in the NHL, I needed to build up my legs. Then I went and bought one of the first pair of rollerblades that was ever made. I saw this guy skating on them. I'm like, oh my, where did he get that? I need to go get those. And he told me, so me and my dad saved up my paper route money. I drove up to Edmonton and there's this one place that was selling them. And they were like, not like they are now. They were kind of Bush League. I would wear them from dusk till dawn. I would race the bus, the school bus on the, uh, in the gravel, on the snow, like whatever. I was constantly on those rollerblades. I delivered my paper route with my rollerblades on. I shot a hundred pucks a day. My dad pulled me to the side and he, he goes, you want to do this, huh, kid? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what do you think you're going to have to do to make it? And I'm like, well, I got to get faster. I got to get stronger. I got to have a better shot. Like basically everything, dad, (laughs) I'm a little kid. And he goes, well, if you could only do one of those things, which one do you think you could do every day? And I said, I think if I could find a hundred pucks and put them in a milk crate and then have a piece of plexiglass out back and a net I could shoot a hundred pucks every single day, rain or snow or shine. I think that would help me make the NHL. And I honestly, I maybe missed a few days, but I shot tens of thousands of pucks in my backyard. And that was probably the biggest thing. Even when I couldn't skate as well in the NHL, like on my comeback or whatever, I wasn't as fast. All these kids are flying. I had a great shot. I had a great release. I led the Islanders in goals one year with 27 goals. I was a real. And yeah, man, I was constantly like dreaming about it. I, I used to do like my dad. It was weird. My dad taught me how to visualize when I was really young. And I would, if I couldn't be on the ice, I would go up into my room and I'd do like concentrated visualization exercises as like a 10 year old kid. And like, I don't know who else does that, but I would see myself making plays. I would, I would be visualizing making a great pass or shooting the puck top corner off the goalpost and seeing how the goalie would move. And I would have these little practices and games. And then, you know, just the crazy thing is I would be in a game. The situation would happen. I would score the goal and I'm like, oh my, I've already done this like before. Like this is, I visualize this exact scenario. It's wild. 
it's like deja vu, but it wasn't. It was like on purpose deja vu, <laughs> which is <laughs> so cool. And I see you nodding, so you must get what I'm talking about. You've probably done it with your life or your business as well, yeah? Well, um, so I am a huge fan of – there's this guy who about 30 years ago started proving the previous 400 years of brain science was wrong that said this part of your brain's for language, this part of your ba- brain is for motor movement, and basically once you're an adult, that's set and that's it. And this guy named Anders Ericsson, and he basically started studying, like, can, can it change? Like, can it get better than this? And, like, you know, we got told, oh, the human brain only remembers seven numbers. So he just started doing these tests, and, like, he got a guy within short order who could remember 82 numbers in a row. Like, you could read him. You could read him 82 numbers. He could read them back to you. He could say them back to you word for word. You know, like, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. he just started doing all these things that proved, like, no, our, our brain is more like our muscles. When you do something repeatedly outside the comfort zone, the brain's like, oh, that was too hard and we need, we seem to keep doing this. But instead of setting protein to like build bigger muscles, it it sends the message, hey, put some more insulation around those wires in the brain. And the insulation is called the myelin sheath. You didn't know you were getting at science class, did you? I, so, knew, I know what myelin is. Yeah. And right? it almost becomes like it goes from like a paved road to like a super highway by the time that you keep running that thing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so I did martial arts all my growing up years and I did competitive judo for my teenage years. And I, you know, the only reason I quit that was, was to look at becoming a pro snowboarder and just snowboard constantly. Right. And, you know, I, I, as an artist, I left home for grade 12. I went to a magnet school for art just South of Calgary. And then I went to a really high end illustration program in the States. And there's a book that you might actually like, there's a bunch of book, good books about neuroplasticity, myelination, but do you know the one, the talent code by Daniel Coyle? Yeah, I do. I have it. As you're talking, it's just like there's so many elements. They're like, do you know do you know the one Peak by Anders Ericsson? No. So he's the guy that Daniel keeps citing in the book. Okay. Finally, after like eight other books come out about this, the guy who did all the original research is like, <laughs> I guess I should put up my own book about it. If you like the talent code, I think you'd really like Peak. It just takes the same thing, but deeper. So cool. just all those things that you talk about of like the meaningful repetitions out in the backyard, right? The the visualization, you know, like there's so much science to back up what you, what you did. The one thing that I feel like those books are pretty light on though, is motivation. Mm. So I'm interested more in your, your, any thoughts you have about how did you get yourself to do it year after year after year, you know, day after day after day, year after year, where it's just so easy to get bored. It's so easy to go like, man, this is costing a lot and I haven't got the reward yet. And yeah, what what was that like for you? (laughs) I had this exact conversation with a one-on-one client right before this podcast. And I said, look, you just invested a lot of money to work with me. And if you're looking for a motivator, inspirator, I'm probably one, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but like, I'm really, really good. But here's the deal. That doesn't count. If you're not motivated and if you're not hungry, I can, I could have the best pom-poms forever. But when I'm not there, what happens? Like, I can't fight your race for you. I can't run your race for you. You got to run it yourself. So I'm, I just literally launched this this weekend. And I sold a nice package. It's incredible coaching for, for people. And I'm not going to say the name because people are going to try to rip it off. I haven't trademarked it yet. But ultimately, the pieces that are in that are the whole secret. And it starts with hunger. I had a big debate with four of my coaches yesterday and I go, what do you guys think is in this product? Cause I'm building it out as we speak. And, and they're like, Oh, I might even have it written down on my whiteboard. 
they had all these cool characteristics and I'm like, well, I think if somebody's not hungry or desperate enough, it just won't happen. There's not enough energy to get them to the top. They might get close. They might like to start it and stuff, but when it gets sticky and it's like normal people just turn it off and go, this isn't working. Like this is a sign. I'm going to shut her down. Right. And we've all heard this. We've all heard the excuses. Well, I would have made it, but I blew out my knee. I would have done this. if This happened. Listen, I played with Essa Tickenden at the end of his career. He had no MCLs on, no ACL on one of his knees, no MCL on one of his knees. This guy was playing in the NHL on bone on bone, and he played with Gretz. You got, you watched him as I did, and um, like it, it the the best of the best bypassed that voice is telling them that's enough, or let's just stay here, or this is safe, or this is certain. You said something about being uncomfortable, like. Learning how to live in uncertainty and be comfortable being uncomfortable is the whole key to expansion and growth and scale because you're never, you can't scale and be comfortable. You can't scale and be certain. You have no idea what's on the other side of that scale. You might try to grow your business and you run out of money. You might try to grow your business and you can't find the right employees. You might, like you don't know, you, you live in uncertainty land. If you're a trailblazer, nobody's ever done this before. You think you're uncertain? Steve Jobs, everyone thinks he's nuts. Bill Gates, everyone thinks he's nuts. Like if they were certain, we wouldn't have any of this stuff that we have. So I love being in love with the uncertainty and knowing and trusting that my vision is so damn big and it includes everyone. It includes humanity. So, you know, you can serve yourself or you can serve your client. And that's a win-win, but I take it to a third level where it's a win-win-win where my client wins, humanity wins, and then by all the value that I just exchanged with the universe and God and everything and the people, then somehow I win and it comes back to me, whether that be monetarily or fulfillment-wise. When you're fulfilled, man, that, that you can't put a price tag on when somebody writes you. I could show you a text message I got today. Honest to God that your book changed my life. Thank you so much. Oh my, this event that you just threw saved my marriage. Like, what's that worth? Did they buy anything from me? Who cares? They bought a $15 book. Who cares? But is their life changed? Yes. So that's what I'm grasping. And I'm like, oh, I want to write another one. What if I could help more people with more books? You know, and you do it once you do. It. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to throw my live event. I didn't know how to run these online challenges for free and help 20,000 people this year. I didn't know how to build a multi-million dollar coaching business like from thin air. Like nobody, there's no handbook that goes, hey, Dave, just do this and it'll work. No. So that's the craziest part to me is like, how do you fall in love with uncertainty and like, it kind of turns me on. Like it kind of wakes me up in the morning and I'm like, I can't wait to see what happens. Jess, I don't know what your habits are, but I wake up at 4 a.m. and I meditate, I pray, and then I get into action this morning. I literally just made a decision that I'm going to run an Ironman before the before 2023. And I'm two days into my, look at, here's my training program. I downloaded off the internet. I'm two days in. I got a 2,000 meter swim tomorrow. I don't know how to swim. I'm a crappy swimmer. But I'm good. How great of an example could I be for the people that I just told that I'm going to do this to? And then I come from like nothing. I run like a Clydesdale. I don't run like an, a marathoner. So if I run an Ironman or do a triathlon, like how proud are, am I going to be a of myself for like do, being able to do that? Especially the fact that I couldn't exercise 10 years ago. I couldn't even barely walk. Like this is a stuff like I'm uncertain about this. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to do it, 
but I'm going to do it. I always keep my word. Well, I what I love about that answer is like, it does make me think about the cliche. You can like, if you have a big enough why, you can handle almost any how. And like, I, I'm thinking about like, okay, you know, my earlier examples, judo, snowboarding, those are from 25 years ago. What 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 is it recently? And I know what it is. It's that I made enough money to retire two different times in my 20s and lost it all both time. And that was really painful. What was worse was losing my grandpa's money, my hero in life, losing a big chunk of change. So I lost money for a bunch of family members, but my grandpa's like my absolute hero in life. And losing his money was just so absurdly painful. And I was like, apparently I'm doing this wrong, (laughs) you know? And I'd worked at big fancy, you know, when I worked at Citigroup, we were the number one mid-market mergers and acquisitions team in the world, right? Like I'd been, anyways, doesn't matter. So I like started reading Warren Buffett obsessively. Like I read... I read 6,000 pages of Warren Buffett books, but that doesn't count how many times I reread the same books. And I started going, you know, I buy plane tickets to go out to his conference. I take courses about him. Then I wrote my own courses and taught other CEOs courses about it. And it's like, it's like a mini obsession for me of like, every time somebody talks to me about investment, playing the game, like what would Warren Buffett say? What would his partner, Charlie Munger say? What would his mentors, Ben Graham and Phil Fisher say? What would his protégés like? Bruce Flatt at Brookfield or, or Howard Marks at Oak Tree, what would they say? And like, it is like kind of an obsession for me. And I know that I drive certain people nuts because all of my sentences either start with, well, do you know the book? Or they start with, well, you know what Warren Buffett would say, <laughs> right? Right. But like, I have all these big goals for our charity, for Child Rescue. And there's a lot of awesome guys who were like real life Jason Bournes. But guess mm-hmm. what? They didn't pay really well. Mm-hmm. Like we absolutely have, we have current, Currently, we have a team of former FBI, former CIA, former Delta Force, former Navy SEALs, former NYPD, ready to go do stuff that obviously needs to get done. And our one missing thing is the money. And I tried nonprofit fundraising, and I'm just not that good at it. So I'm like, okay, the you know the one one of the talents I was blessed with is being able to get money for investing. So, so I'm like, it is it is my big why. It is my like. A yeah. kind of absurd obsession. And now I'm 10 years into it and I'm finally actually feeling confident with it. So like looking at those, and I call them road bumps, like obviously it, it feels like the worst thing on the, the oh world gosh. when it's going on, right? Especially when other people are involved. But you wouldn't probably have this podcast if if you just smashed it out of the park with those. You probably wouldn't have gone into those 6,000 books that you've read, you probably wouldn't have the philosophies and the grounding fundamentals that you now do. And you probably wouldn't have compassion for people when they uh, make mistakes or or whatever, because now that you've lived through it, you, you get it. You're like, oh man, like that, that sucks. I remember what that feels like. Right. So, you, so it gives you like a different version of yourself. That's kind of like a better version really than if it just worked the one way. And then you're retired on a beach in Hawaii, hanging out and drinking margaritas by yourself. Like that's not what you were built for. That's why that weird stuff happened. And it's like, I believe it was probably realigning you to serve in this way that you're now doing, which is, you know, your, your podcast is doing amazing. You're, you're, you are having influence and you are impacting lives. It's all perfect. And, you know, I, 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 yeah, I, oh, sorry. I want you to let me finish this one thought. So, you know, I say when your why is big enough, the how just shows up. It's like, I'll literally say a prayer and I'm like, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but I just need you to use me. 
bring people to me that know how this does work, just line them up and like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I know that it's right. I'm going to do the right thing. And I think the more times that you do that, the more guidance that arrives to you, because I don't pretend to know it all. If I don't know something, I'll say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get you the answer. Let me, let me go talk to somebody who does know that answer. And I think that's like maturity and consciousness and stuff. Like, it's like, I don't have to have an ego. If I don't know something, I'll say, I'm not sure. Let me check into that for you. But anyways, go back to where you were going to say, cause, cause uh, you were onto something there a second ago. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, I kidding. I get excited and interrupt people. You were on a roll. It is kind of funny when you talked about the, like, you know, <laughs> you got injured, so you couldn't, you couldn't play hockey anymore. Like after like losing it all for the second time and just like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting around licking my wounds. Right. And I just, you know, anyways, in, not in a good place. And we start doing the charity more and more. And I start hanging out with like the real life Jason Bourne guys. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, a kid who does martial arts his whole life thinks those guys are super cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, I find out like I've got a certain aptitude for learning some of those skills really, really well. And, and I like, I started thinking like, I think maybe this is, I think is maybe what I want to do. And I like, I don't usually get too churchy on the podcast, but like, I wasn't really like asking God, like, Hey, is this what I should do next? <laughs> I was just like, this is what I want to do. Right? Right, right. And like, to the point where I annoyed my wife enough, she's like, okay, if you're that serious, why don't you go try out for the CIA? And, and I had a pretty major accident and I, I don't really want to talk about it right now, but it, it made me physically incapable. And, and it was a, the most depressive I've ever been in my life thinking like all of my, all of my dreams about fatherhood and all the action sports I wanted to do are now over. Mm. And will I ever walk again and, and stuff like this. And it's funny in years since I look back and go like, Hey, maybe that was like my wake up call of God saying like, I got, I got enough Jason Bourne guys to do the work already. <laughs> right, right. What I need is an ATM machine to pay for it all. Yes. And that was my plan for you. There so you like, go. I don't care if you mess around. You can go to the trainings. I don't care if you mess around. <laughs> that. Like your main role here yeah. is to, is to bankroll this. That's yeah. my plan for you. So you were getting a little sidetrack and you weren't listening. So I had to give you, I had to give you something you couldn't ignore. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and I've wondered that a bunch of times since, you know, maybe that's what that was. Yeah, I love it. I love it. What's the name of your, of the charity? A Child Rescue Association. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I support another one, does the same sort of thing. And I just, I love it. It's, it's. And I'm so stoked. 10 years ago, 12 years ago when we got going, nobody realized it was happening to American kids. We'd talk about the issue and they'd mm -hmm. be like, oh, what, what country are you helping? We're like this one. They're like, well, I know you're here, but like, are you helping in Thailand or where, where's the problem? Like mm -hmm. in this country is the problem. Yeah. Just like, they're like, well, like what in Vegas? I was like, no, all over the country. They just had no idea. I'm so stoked now. There's so many organizations helping. It's like night and day compared to a decade ago. It's like, it's really optimistic for the cause that so many people have gotten involved. Yeah, and I hope it scares the crap out of all these weirdos that are doing this crazy stuff that where they just stop. I I got the good fortune to meet this incredible woman. I'm not going to say her name for her privacy and everything like this, but she's just featured in one of Oprah's books. But, you know, her, she was raised in foster care and then sold out of foster care into sex slave business. And she literally lived in a cage with another girl and she ended up escaping this girl's gone on to be extremely, extremely successful in her life. But when you hear those stories, it makes it so real. And I got three little kids, you know, 
I just can't, I just, uh, the evil of that is just so horrifying. And, and anybody that is brave enough to go in there and with guns ablazing and take down these guys, like I'm 1000% behind. Yeah. You know, so unfortunately it happened to my mother-in-law as a 12 year old in California and she was the fourth generation in their family. And then she's the one that broke the cycle. So it didn't happen to my wife. And uh, it's, you know, it's close to home for us. And uh, so I'm just so excited to hear I, I love hearing success stories like that. Like it's so hard to hear that something that tough happens to a kid. And then it's so great to hear that they were able to become the inspiration that they are, you know, that Oprah and you and everybody else is, is t- taking yeah. inspiration from her story. Yeah. And, and this is a messed up view and like, please, I'm not taking anything away from what happens to these people or any person with trauma or any of these terrible things that happen to us when we're growing up. But a lot of a lot of the most successful people in my opinion have had some sort of a big trauma early on in their life whether it be a loss or a death or or a rape or a whatever and i'm not listen those things are all horrific and they shouldn't happen to anybody but this is how my philosophy is on this and tell me what you think i feel like when we've got that big dark secret And we're walking around our life and we're holding it down like everywhere. We don't want that monster to come out. We're not going to open up Pandora's box. We're not, we don't want to talk about it. We're going to stuff it down and hope that we don't have to ever deal with it again. Well, my view and my philosophy is truly when you can liberate that energy and actually get it out and have it take your mess and make your message, whatever you want to call it, like liberate it from your system. It's almost like you're driving your car in like, four gears your whole life and you're still kind of getting by and you're still successful when you get that other extra gear or two you find your fifth or sixth gear or sixth or seventh gear like you're super powered i truly believe that the most trauma and it could be physical injuries it could be whatever it gives you another superpower later so it's just this weird philosophy that i have but i've dealt with thousands of personality types and i've kind of been really processing this and for me i believe that the trauma when it gets liberated or when that energy becomes unstuck it's like limitless my absolute favorite book i'm sure you've read it but is about this exact subject is uh man's search for meaning by victor frankel gosh you know Uh, what thank you for that reminder i i have that on 17 reading lists of mine i've never read it it is it's one of the best books ever written like if you're into kind of getting over exaggerated victimhood, like there is real victimhood in the sense of stuff that happened to us of no fault of our own. Right. And then we certainly make it worse when I, when I sit around and complain about, like I can make it worse when something happens to me, I can make it worse by what I talk about next. Right. My self-talk and everything. But you you have this guy who, I mean, basically if I was going to sum up the book, it's this, the Nazis can take everything away from me. They can take my research and my reputation. They can take my family and kill them. They can take everything of mine away from me. What they can't take is my capacity to choose how I'm going to react to them taking everything away from me. Hmm. And it's not some like Pollyanna book. Like he's he's not pulling any punches about how tough it was and how hard it was. Mm-hmm. And he he doesn't let that be an excuse to say now the rest of his life is ruined. He just continually illustrates. Like I think what I love about it is it's like this, like, it's a little bit of like slap me in the face. Like, don't be a pansy, Jess. <laughs> like, look at what he went through and how he still chose his emotions. Yeah. 
Like, you know, let's face it. Things aren't so bad. You can't choose your own emotions about this situation, Jess. You know, mm-hmm. it's like my own like little pep talk of like, look, that guy, that guy can go through that and he can still choose to take personal responsibility of what he's going to do about it and inspiring, helping literally millions of people through the rest of his life. And it's just like, I guess it just, it's like sheer optimism for me. So anyways, when you get to it, I bet you'll enjoy it. No, I, I've heard nothing but amazing things and, and it is, it's, it's perspective. And I think perspective is one of the most undervalued words because we could both see something happen and you could have a perspective of it that it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's magical. That's incredible. And then I could have another perspective or another angle on it where I don't see that. Well, your meaning of what you just saw is magical and all this. My meaning is so much lower energy that I don't get the gift in it. And it's just a different perspective. So, you know, I've coached enough people that like some of it is some of coaching is just really like loving on people, but also changing the perspective or the lens that they're viewing things from because it can absolutely change the game for them and and the future for them. So anyways, that's just my, my theory. Uh, I love that theory. And I, I think it emphasizes the, the choice aspect of there. This has been great. I've really enjoyed it. Um, congrats on all the success. Where, where's the best place for people to buy the book? Is it going to Amazon? What What do you think? Yeah, we're, we got it all over the place. So it's on Amazon. You can pick up both copies there. I'm almost done the audio books. That'll be out shortly. I am going to be launching a, a book offer online. You can probably find that at Instagram. So my name is at Dave Scatchard on Instagram. And yeah, I just, I just, I'm grateful for what you're doing and I'm grateful for your charity and for any of the listeners out there that's, that are going through something like know that it's not going to last forever and know that this is somehow going to make you stronger and you're going to expand into something bigger, even if you don't see it right now. And if you guys ever see me anywhere on a stage or on online, like make sure you drop a note and say that you listen to this podcast. I'd love to say hello. You see me in an airport or something, come by and say hi. Cause I love to meet, especially during COVID man. <laughs> like you don't, I don't know who I'm speaking to and I got 5,000 people on a challenge or whatever. Like I'm like, I, I'm in my office speaking to myself on a laptop and there's no instant feedback. That's why like doing my live event was such a rush for me. Cause I could see people reacting. I could see people crying. I could see people getting into it. And when you're doing it online, you know, Jess, you, you'll probably, you get this. It's like, you'll get an email or a message from somebody and be like, Hey, that last podcast changed my life. Like, thank you. And it's like, Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even know anybody was there because <laughs> it's all virtual now, you know, but I will say it is interesting when I talk to someone who's like, you know, yeah, I, I, so I really like your show. I'm like, Oh, that's so, th- that's so nice. Like, wh- wh- you know, do, you got a chance to listen to a couple episodes. Like, were there any that, that you liked better than another one? They're like, Oh no, I went back and listened to all of them. You're like, wow. All, all of them. That's amazing. <laughs> like, I like got 700 episodes or something now. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's incredible. Like, I'm like, I'm worried. Like, did I waste your time? Like, so you, you, so you liked it, right? Obviously not. If they stayed for 700 episodes. Yeah. Same thing. Like guys, if, if you guys are bored or anything and you ever want to go to allstarcoaching.com, we're literally just rebranding that website, but there, we'll try to throw in some free stuff for you guys. So we've been doing a lot of podcasts lately and we always try to give our, our listeners like some, some free stuff just to kind of see what we're doing and what we're up to. So Yeah. I'm I'm just grateful, man. Thank you for this this uh, this honor of being on your show, and I look forward to doing it again one day.
Yeah, I love it. Write another book so you can come back. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, wait. I, the, the, the book is called The Comeback, My Journey Through Hell. <laughs> I don't even think yeah, we said the title of it, did we? I'm going to hold it up. I think we did a few times like in sentences, but we didn't say, go get Dave's book, The Comeback. Yeah, so. my, The Comeback, My Journey Through Hell. Because there's a couple comebacks out there and people are like, Dave, this isn't your book. And it's like <laughs> not good stuff. So, so get the right one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, yeah, man. Uh, pleasure to get to know you and uh, keep doing the, the good work you're doing, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening.